0: Ephesians. I'd have you open your Bibles or a gadget. Did I turn that on? You guys hear me? Is it here? Okay. All right. I'll have you open your Bibles or a gadget or something. Their Bibles in the seats underneath you in some of the baskets. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. I'll meet you there in just a minute. As I kind of look out over the audience today, I see the Darcy's back from Africa. Welcome. You must have just got back like this weekend. Last night. Did they get luggage back? Did you? Okay. Well, all right, I thought. All right, good. Uh, There's some great pictures. I don't know if uh, you have that access online, but you should check out what's happening there uh, in in Malawi. Am I saying that right? Malawi? And uh, we'll make sure Darcy... And Rod comes up at some point and gives us some kind of a, a, a picture of what's happening there. I'm still looking forward to getting there. I think that would be a great bond-building thing for me and the new pastors to travel to Africa with Darcy. I mean, I got thoughts. What do you guys have? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to Israel now. I've got time. And let's do it. So that would be exciting. I, I would love the day. That Oakwood is sending a group and, and heading over to Malawi to do that. The kids are, I've just loved working with children. I just, it'll change your life, uh, when you, when you go and serve like that. So good to see you back. Uh, did, uh, Tim and, and Gary already head to their place? Or is that next weekend? Is that next weekend? Later. Today. Later today they leave? He told me they're coming. Okay. So yeah, we've got two guys that we need to pray for, uh, mostly their mental capacity, uh, because they're in a uh, an Ironman, right? Isn't it an Ironman? So they are uh, heading to Florida or California? I forget, Florida. Florida. They're heading to Florida to do an Ironman event. So, you know, Tim invited me over a year ago, so I'm glad I'm not going, <laughs> but good for them. Good for both of them. I'm excited to see. That's a great uh, goal, and my goodness, they've worked hard toward that. All right, if you're there in Ephesians chapter 4, we will jump into this passage, which I I am excited to preach, Jeff. You brought that up, and yet um, I wasn't early on. You know, sometimes when you're working ahead, some passages you get and you're like, oh man, I see a path and I'm excited, la la Monday, I told Julie, I said, man, I'm just not seeing it this week. I'm just, I don't have a clear thought. I don't have a clear plan. And then yesterday I told her, wow, things changed because now I'm excited. I am excited to preach this passage this morning. God gave me some clarity on the whole layout, the way Paul speaks and teaches us. And there's some great things in this passage. Last week, we emphasized the body and together and all. Remember, it was all about the body and to try to get you not, think individually not to think as a person because that's so western culture well paul does shift today and now he does talk about you individually and so the things we're talking about today affect the body but it's some these things are what happens in your life and if that happens in all believers lives in the church then the church is healthy and strong and so we are shifting from all, everybody, one, two, you. All right. Everybody say me, me. We're talking about me today. And, you know, I don't need to, sometimes I think I got to explain myself. You guys know me. I don't need to explain myself. I'm a little off. Living out my faith. That's where I started. And then I did a lot of reading and stuff. And I figured out people make choices when they interpret scripture. And it's I'm not doubting that. Uh, you, if you read the NIV or the ESV or the RSV or the King James or the New King James, you'll get a variety of whole bunch of different thoughts on words. And they make choices. And they make decent choices. A lot of versions have taken uh, walking out and put living in there. Living. Living. Um, but I think it misses something. And so I want to use the idea of walking your walk today. Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Now this will tell you where I'm at. Okay. Um, I like English humor. I've always have. I, one of my favorite movies is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, my wife thinks it's absolutely pathetic. She can't sit through it with me. She can't get through the opening credits without leaving the room and saying, I'm done with this. You're stupid because I'm already on the ground. I'm on the ground rolling, laughing, and nothing has happened yet. All you hear is the coconuts in the distance, you know, and that's it for me. I'm laughing my head off. And so uh, Monty Python's whole group there did this thing, and I was gonna show the video, and I thought, no, Don, don't do that to them. Uh, but I love the ministry of silly walks. If you love British humor, just look up the ministry of silly walks today and watch the video. Uh, John Cleese is hilarious, and that's some of his poses and the walk uh, that he does. So there's a lot of different walks. Have you noticed people have different walks? Have you ever judged people about their walk? Do you like to people watch? I love to go to very populated areas and just sit somewhere with a cup of coffee and just look at people. And just funny things you see out there. Funny types of walks. You got this, I, I, I watched this whole thing this week about confident walking. There's a whole thing about knowing how to walk to show confidence. You got to uh, you gotta have your shoulders back and your chest out and you can't look down. This is a bad walk. When people see you like this, they're like, oh my goodness, life has been hard on that person. But but with your shoulders back and your chest out and if you put your gaze up and, and you're staring out and you're walking, it's walking with confidence like that dude or this dude, right? You don't want to be that dude. Either walking with confidence or walking with despair, right? And then we all know the model walk, right? The model walk is very specific. They do this weird thing, you know, where they... I don't know. I can't put it all together, but they got this. Now, there are model fails. (laughs) I love those. You can watch walk runway fails, and you'll see all sorts of different things about women falling and tripping on their heels while they're on the runway. Walking is an interesting thing, and we're talking about your walk today. Everybody say my walk. Yes, it's an analogy for the word live your life. How do you live? How are you living your life? But honestly, the word living is boring there. I like the analogy, kind of a metaphor of your walk. It doesn't mean your actual walk, but your walk in life. How are you living? How are you walking? And that's what we're going to focus our time on today. The Greek word is interesting for walk in scripture. It's peripatio, peripatio. And that word is a metaphor for conducting one's life. It is, living is a decent translation, but it's just boring to me. I like the word walk. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, Paul says, I urge you to walk worthy. Some translations say, I I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. You get that. It makes sense to you. But I like the term walk. Everybody say walk. How's your walk? Are you walking the walk? Are you just talking the talk? Walk the walk. It's a metaphor about how you're conducting your life. So, Paul's metaphors in Ephesians, this is why I want to make a case for this, just real quick, okay? Let your pastor geek out. If you pay attention to Ephesians, we've been through one through three, it was all about what God has done all about what Christ is and where he went because he was seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's what he's done for us. And then in chapter 4, that's where we got that verse 1, live a, a walk worthy of your calling. Why would we keep the word walk instead of replace it with live? Because people are missing the fact that Paul uses three metaphors. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, it's about sitting. Sit. It's our position in Christ. We don't have to be running around like a chicken with a head cut off trying to get saved. He makes it very clear that it starts with God and what God has done in Christ. went to the heaven and is seated. He's finished. It's done. And we are seated. We are seated in Christ. That should give you confidence to know you're not worried. You're not running around scared that you've done enough. No, it's not about that. Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God and we are seated in Christ. Sit. Everybody say sit, right? I always, there's some funny names you could name your dogs. I wanted to name Jack's a specific name and my wife wouldn't let me. I wanted to call him stay because wouldn't it be awesome to have a dog and say, come here, stay. (laughs) It would be confusing. We didn't name him stay. Sit, everybody say sit. And then we get to this passage, walk. Why do we want to use the word walk? Because if you don't, you're losing his analogies. At first, we're sitted with Christ. And then how do you walk? How are we to work it out in our own daily lives? He's talking about the salvation that God has done, that we partake in. Remember when we talked about for by grace you are saved through faith. Grace is the element that gets you into heaven. It's nothing you can do. That's why faith isn't the element that gets you into heaven. It's God's grace. Now, how do you access grace? Through faith. She O'Nallion gave me the illustration. She was drawing while I was preaching. She drew this beautiful thing. Grace is the car that gets us to heaven. Grace is the vehicle. Faith is the key to start the engine. You got to have faith to access grace, God's grace. How do we work that out in our daily life? That's how we walk. Everybody say walk. Everybody say sit. Everybody say walk. Why is all this important? Because he ends the book saying Stand. It's time to take your stand against the schemes of the devil. Do you see the beauty of his metaphors? Sit, walk, stand. And so I don't I don't want us to take that word out of there, okay? That's my geek moment for you. Take it as you want. We're going to keep it in today and talk about your walk. So let's talk about the context. I want to read it. Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. I'll read it. You follow along and then we'll pray. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer walk or live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. It's not your walk. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance to the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Let's pray. God, I pray this morning you would help us understand this context of this passage we're reading God, help us to understand how Paul is talking about how we walk individually, how we walk before you, and how that affects your church, how that affects the world. So God, I pray that we'd uh, be faithful to this passage this morning. You'd teach us, you'd convict us about our walk and help us to walk in a way worthy of that calling. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. The old, verses 17 through 19, Jeff was right, he Look this passage over and you see a contrast. There's such a clear contrast in this passage. Paul starts immediately talking about, uh, not only does he tell them, he insists on it, verse 17, that you must not walk as the Gentiles do. Let's walk through this real quick and talk about the, uh, the different ways that it's represented. The old life. Every, everybody say old. Used to be. Remember, the used to be's. Now, that's some of the saddest uh, words in the English language when you get to be my age. You know, when you get to be my age and people are talking about, hey, let's play basketball. And I say, I used to be a basketball player. I used to be, right? This is the one category all of us should be pretty happy that we used to be something. We used to be the old self. No longer the old self. Because that old self, futile thoughts. What does that mean, futile thoughts? It's thinking without wisdom. Thinking without wisdom. Romans 1, 20 through 22, Paul talked about that. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Paul talks about this futility of the old self. The old self is living, thinking, talking, breathing, everything without wisdom. Futile. Futile. There's a, a word for that. Mateo Titos. Mateo titos is the word that Paul used in Romans. He used it here in Ephesians. Mateo titos, which means worthless, empty, vain, without meaning. Boy, futile. What a way to walk, right? Don't walk in that way. A futile, vain, worthless thinking. We've been called to something new. Your walk now should be new. It should not include futile living, futile thinking, worthless that's what this world is. The world without Christ, let me tell you what their religion is. Their religion is humanism, which is all about self. Their God is materialism, which is all about money and stuff. Their lifestyle is hedonism, which is all about pleasure. And their final state is nihilism, which is despair. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> We're not living that anymore. We're not walking down that path anymore. We've been been—we've been set free from that path that leads to nowhere futile. Then Paul talks about them being darkened. That, that's where we get the term dim-witted from. You ever heard of, you know, they're pretty dim-witted. What does that mean? They're, they're darkened in their understanding. They, they don't quite get it. The light bulb's not all the way on, right? They are lost. John 3, 19 through 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness. Instead of light, because their deeds were evil, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God, dim-witted, darkened in their understanding, and God says, that's the old stuff. don't walk that way. you are part of the light." Amen? Anybody scared of the dark? So I'd pretend that I'm not scared of the dark, but I'm scared of everything. I remember distinctly being a young boy at Christian camp. I went to camp in Illinois. My camp was called Camp Manitoumi. love good old Camp Manitoumi. I came over here to Michigan and found out that camps were nice. I mean, I didn't know that they were probably abusing us by making us sleep where we slept and eat what we ate. I remember I got in trouble once, had to stay after because we complained that the bread had mold on it, you know. And, and we were told, shame on you for pointing that out. And I'm like, now that I'm older, I'm like, no, no, that camp was just gross. <laughs> but I loved Camp Manitoumi. I loved it. We had great times there, except for at night when the sun went down and it was time for bed. There was always going to be that moment where you had to run to the Bathhouse, that's what they called it, the bathhouse. And it didn't matter where you were staying, it was a walk. The only saving grace was at the front of the bathhouse was a Coca-Cola machine. And the Coca-Cola machine was the only light. And so man, I would, I would, I would, I'd come out of my cabin, you know, at three in the morning, and I would look down the long sidewalk, and then I'd look out in the vast darkness of camp, and then I'd look at that Coca-Cola. And I would just focus on that and head to the light, head to the light. What's interesting is the bugs had the same idea because every bug in the tri-state area was at the Coca-Cola sign, right? It was the only light. And then you could hear the bugs, you know, and that's the light. And in darkness, it's always good to know that there is a light As believers, God tells us, you don't just have to walk in dim-wittedness hoping to get a little light. No, you're in the light. You're in the light. Christ is the light to your life and there's no need to walk around darkened, dim-witted. Then Paul says they're excluded. What does that mean? They're without hope. They're excluded from the blessings of God. That is the old self. They're ignorant. That's an amazing word. I mean, there's no getting around it. That is harsh. (laughs) Especially knowing that people of the day prided themselves on Greek thinking, logic, intelligence, knowledge. That was what the the Greeks were all about this. And Paul comes along and says, you can have all sorts of learning, but you are ignorant. It's a harsh word, right? Right? Do 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 your kids get in trouble when they say that? To your siblings, you know, they're, you're stupid. Don't say that, Shh. We don't use that word. Well, then you're ignorant. I don't know. I don't know if that's better than stupid, but you know that that's harsh. It's harsh. And Paul's making it very clear. And he's making it a contrast because they think they're smart. They do. They really think they're smart. But Paul lets them know, no, you're darkened. You are ignorant in your thinking. And you're callous because it's a stubborn rejection of God. Callous, what's that word? I found this interesting because the Greek word is apologio, apologio. But in English, the translation from Greek to English is analgesic. Analgesic, you know what that is? Come on, people over 50 know what an analgesic is, right? The best stuff in the world is deep blue. Anybody here use deep blue? Oh, I'll turn you on to deep blue. My my wife and I have tubs. She's got one in her nightstand. I got one in my nightstand. I carry it in my backpack. We love the deep blue. I don't, my body could just seize up with a incredible cramp. I get that deep blue out and just, oh, just like that. It's amazing. When we were kids, we had a foreign exchange student from Brazil, and he played. He was a great soccer player, but because we were a small Christian school, he had to play basketball, too. He wasn't very good at basketball. But in basketball, uh, he loved hanging out with the guys in the locker room, and we had this big jug. I don't know. This was back in the 80s. Probably wasn't even very sanitary, but a huge jug like this. And it was uh, analgesic, whatever. And we used to call it the cremagesic. Cremagesic. That's what we called it. I don't know if that was the brand name, but it was a big bottle. Hand me the cremagesic. And we'd uh, Everybody slathering their muscles up with it, and it had that smell. If anything, it made the locker room smell better, right? And so we used that cream of Jesus, and 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 it was interesting. He Jose didn't he didn't quite know what we were saying, and so eventually he got brave, and he's like, "Hey guys, can I have some of that cream of Jesus?" (laughs) We're like, "What? The cream of Jesus." Like no 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 it's it's not the cream of Jesus it's it's cream of Jesus it's this this thing why do they call it that because it's a painkiller why because it, it, it's past it gets you past feeling it gets you numb that's what Paul is trying to say your old self the way you used to live was futile in the thing darkened dim witted ignorant. Because you're calloused, not just hardened, but like you have no feet. You, don't, you can't feel it. You don't get it. You're totally numbing yourself to the reality of God. That's the old. Everybody say the old. Oh, Gets better, though. Indulgent. <laughs> Driven by impure desires. That is one of the telltale signs of the old life is that it just lives to indulge any whim or desire or or craving, the cravings of the body. Now, do you remember that word? It's my favorite word, sarks. Everybody say sarks. Sarks is the flesh, living in the flesh. People without Christ in their old life, that's all they've got. They're just living for themselves, right? I'll go over my list again. That's why their religion is humanism. It's about self. Their God is materialism, stuff. Their lifestyle is hedonism, pleasure. And it leads to nihilism, which is despair. Isn't it interesting that the more you live to fulfill your cravings, the more empty you feel? We know that's true. I traveled this country and went to inner city high schools and taught life skills and tried to explain to them that living on drugs is not a good option. Living totally numbing yourself, it doesn't move you forward. But they don't get it. It's it's literally like Romans and Paul talking to them saying they just don't get it because that's all they've got, themselves and pleasure. And why not then indulge? Paul's making this great contrast because that's not who we are. But then, that's another word they took out of this part in certain versions. They say, uh, that however, I don't like that. But then, everybody say but then. I like that because it's like, this is then. But then, or but now, there's a change and a contrast. So the progression of evil is this. First, we overlook evil, then we permit evil, then we legalize evil, then we promote evil, then we celebrate evil, then we persecute those who still call it evil. That's what this world has been sliding into continually. We overlook evil, permit evil, legalize evil, promote evil, celebrate evil, then persecute those who still call it evil. I don't know who Dwight Longnecker is, but I think he nailed that. So that's the old... Now let's talk about the change. Everybody say change. We move to what Paul says. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. But now, again, it's a better way of saying that. It's salvation. Salvation is a new life. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any was in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Salvation is a brand new life. You're not in the old life. If you claim to be saved and walking with Jesus, then you are in a new life. You're no longer living in the old life. You can't have a foot in each world. You just can't do it. You, they're not heading in the same direction. Julie was trying to explain to me. She heard a pastor t- talking about climbing a ladder and you've got one foot on this ladder and one foot on this ladder, but they get wider, they go up. And, and the idea of trying to keep a foot on both, you can't do it. And so you've got to get into this walk, the change that happens because of a new life. But now, now that we have salvation, put off. It's like changing dirty clothes for clean. Paul says, put off. Let's read that. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil desires. Decay is the word there. Decay, it's coming apart, it's corrupted. Decay of deceitful desires. Those people that are living an indulgent life to fulfill their own pleasure, they're heading downward. That's why I use the toilet bowl as my illustration. It's a downward spiral. You know, if you just live to please self, you're flushing your life down the toilet. It's a decay of deceitful desires. I like how Paul talks about, it. he uses this metaphor of putting off and putting on, putting off. But, uh, and it always reminds me of the trip I took to Tennessee. Um, Julie and I were married, had young kids, but the college age guys at our church invited me to come to Tennessee on a long weekend and, and ride quads in this old mining quarry. And it had rained all summer. This was like late summer and it had rained all summer. We actually were going to cancel this trip because they had closed highways in Tennessee. It was so flooded. But the last couple of days it dried up. So we loaded the quads and we took off for the hills of Tennessee and it was great. I'm just going to tell you, it was great. I, I can't, re- there's been a couple of things I've done that have been fun, but that was one of those times with just a bunch of dudes on quads in Tennessee and it was not wet, mud. Everything was mud, beautiful, glorious mud. <laughs> there were times when we had to stand up on the seat to drive because the mud was that high, you know. I would never had so much fun. I'd had a Jeep, and it's fun to go mudding in a Jeep, but you don't get fully immersed like you do on a quad Especially you got guys in front of you throwing dirt up there. All I remember is we rode for like nine hours the first day in the mud, in the I mean, just have the time of our lives, seeing who could climb the hill. But by the end of the day, man, we were. I mean, filthy doesn't even cover it. Like, head to toe. Like you had to do this just so you could see, you know? I mean inch of mud on every part of our bodies. And so we put whatever we could find in the trucks and we drove to our hotel. There's something really cool about walking into the lobby of a hotel covered from head to toe in mud. Everybody saw us coming and they're like. And we walked in and and you know how they always act busy and then they finally look up. Can I help you? Oh my. And the the, the girl that looked at us, she said, just stop moving. Stop moving. Don't move. You're getting mud everywhere. And I remember we walked, got checked in, and we walked to our rooms and opened the doors to our rooms. And the guy I was with, I'm like, hey, listen, don't go any further than the entryway. Stand there, and we're going to take it all off right there. And we did. We stripped everything down and put it right there at the entrance of the hotel. Then we took showers and got cleaned up. Now the next day we went back and did it again. Which clothes do you think we wore? We went to the entryway and there were the clothes from yesterday. But now they're hard. They stand up on their own. Boy, we put those clothes back on and walk through the lobby. I, I don't know. Remember I talked about that walk? I, I walked a little prouder that. There's something about just being filthy head to toe like I'm a man. You can't stop it. Here I go. I think about that when I think about what Paul's time. I mean, I don't know how deep he was going in this metaphor, but I think Paul is saying, you were mired in it. You weren't just a little dirty. I, some of you are prim and proper. You're thinking, well, maybe, maybe before Christ, I had a little speck and, and I was able to flick it. No, no. The idea is you are covered from head to toe and you're a mess. You're a hot mess. But now... <laughs> And Paul is making it very clear. Christian, I've cleaned you up from head to toe. Don't go put the old clothes back on. Don't don't go put them back on again. Put those off. Put those off. I don't even know if those made it home. I think the decision was to burn those clothes. Gone. That's what Paul's talking about here. Put off that old self. Be renewed. An ongoing process of a new mind and a new life. So we've got the old, everybody say the old. We've got the change, everybody say the change. And then we have the new. See how Paul is making this beautiful analogy about this is how you used to be. Something happened to change that. Now here is what it should look like. Don't get this wrong. So many people will get to this third part and think, okay, I have to do these things in order to be changed. No, these things come from a changed life. It doesn't get you changed. Don't mistake the order Paul is giving. He does not teach a work salvation. He teaches that there are works for those who are already saved, right? That's what Paul teaches. I've put together works for you to do in advance. So there are, there's a certain way to walk as a saved person. It won't get you saved, but if you are saved, this is how you should walk. By the way, if you're thinking about evangelism and you want to share the gospel with somebody, this here on the screen is a perfect template for your testimony, The old, the changed, the new. There's three handles in your testimony. Anybody can share their testimony. All you need to do is talk about who you were before you met Christ, what happened when you met Christ, and what's happened since you've met Christ. It's the three handles of a good testimony. So then Paul starts getting into it. And that's where the meat, I think, of the teaching is today. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. That happens at the change. A renewed mind, thinking differently about life. So with this renewed mind, we live this out. We walk this out. What is it? We put away lying. We put away lying. Psalm 12, verse 19 Or Proverbs 12, 19. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only for a moment. He's showing a great contrast. Before, in your old life, it was all about yourself. So why not lie if you need to? Why not just lie? Because if it gets me what I need, then it's fine. But now you can't do that. You can't live for yourself like that. By the way, all these things are just selfishness. I'm going to read you this whole list, and you ought to see each one of them. Selfishness. A life marked by self-pleasure. Paul's like, don't do that. We're going to put off that old lie. matter of fact, let's start putting them off piece by piece. Lying. Stop it. <laughs> don't lie anymore. Speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. We put off lying. We put away selfish anger. This is an interesting one. It, it says, in your anger, do not sin. Anger in itself is a gift from God. And there's something called righteous anger. But selfish anger is never good. Jesus got angry in the temple when they were turning the temple into a money changer's market and, and not focusing on God or prayer. And so he was righteously anger, not out of control. It's okay to have righteous anger. But it shouldn't stay there because anger that stays becomes bitterness, right? It gives the devil a foothold. We'll talk about that in a second. So we've got to put away lying, put away selfish anger. It's one of the verses I cover in my premarital counseling. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Couple, work it out. (laughs) Make sure you talk it out. You don't have to agree at the end of the day, but you at least need to get over the anger. Because if it stews, it's an ugly stew. Put away stealing. Do you see, by the way, how these are all selfish? Lying for your own good. Anger you won't let go leads to bitterness. Stealing, selfish. Paul says, put away that kind of life. You don't need to live that way any longer. Put away destructive speech. Destructive speech is selfish. It's because you're usually putting somebody else down to make you look better. Uh, or putting somebody down in order to elevate yourself. And that's why it's destructive speech. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. James talks about your tongue. James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Colossians 4.1, let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer every man. Put away these things. Now, Paul, Paul loves his list, right? So he's been really good at one by one covering some things, but then he goes shotgun mode, right? Then he just goes Put away bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. He adds a whole bunch in one. And I'm not going to cover each one of those. You get the idea. I think Paul covered it by saying the first couple saying, put these away. That's the old. You got a new. So don't act like this any longer. And he just, he, he fast tracks a bunch of them. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. What are all these things? These things are all selfish attitudes. Selfishness.
1: Man, do I have a good
0: example about that this week. Anybody get a a text from me asking for money? (laughs) I got hacked this week. It was a fun day. Uh, We're in the office just doing our normal work and Tim May called me. Uh, and Tim May does a great job here at our church. Him and Barry Tombs, uh, they are uh, like our workers um, over Benevolent and Oakwood Cares. And so they do a lot of work for us, meeting with people, finding out what needs are. So we can... And so it's not unusual that Tim would call me. But Tim calls me out of nowhere, and, and I answer the phone, and his first words, what do you want? I'm like, dude, you called me. I mean, how do you start a conversation? He goes, no, no, you just texted me saying it was urgent to text you back. But I called you instead. I'm like, Tim, I never texted you, you know. And I went and looked, you know, I mean, I've, I've butt dialed people before, but never butt texted them. Right. And so I'm like, how could that be? Right. And so I go to my phone and I look and I'm like, Tim, I'm looking at our text stream and I did not text you. And he goes, Hmm, that's weird. I said, yeah, that's weird. So we hung up and we're done with that conversation. Immediately, Margaret walks in the office. So-and-so's on the phone for you. I'm like, Oh, I haven't talked to them forever. I pick up the phone. What do you want? I'm like, Oh no. He's like, you just texted me. I don't, what, what do you want? I'm like, okay, this isn't good. And I hung up the phone and they said, there's another person on the phone. And I picked it up. What do you need? No, no, something's gone wrong. And immediately we thought it was our church system, our tithely system. We thought they hacked it. Melissa's on the phone with tithely saying, shut it down. Shut our church down. People are using it to, to, to shut it down. And then we dawned on us. It wasn't them at all. It was my Facebook account. They hacked my Facebook account. And if you're a friend of mine in Facebook and you have your cell phone listed, by the way, you should probably check that because you can make it only me, you know, only you see it. Don't publicize it to the world. So if you're a friend of mine and you're on my Facebook and you have your cell phone, you probably got a text saying, it's urgent, text me, I'm in a meeting. Pastor Don, jerk. And then if somebody did text them back saying, yeah, what do you need? The guy said, hey, I'm in a meeting. I can't talk. But we have a woman at the church with cancer and we're collecting gift cards. Uh, Amazon and, and the Apple gift cards. Send them to me digitally. Can you believe that? All week I've been like, what kind of a person impersonates a pastor, goes after church people, and uses cancer? I mean, at some point, wouldn't that person stop and think, this isn't very nice? I mean, my wife would have told them that. Not nice. Be nice. My wife has signs all over her house. Maybe it's because of her clientele. But it, she has signs that say, be nice. Be kind. And that wasn't nice. Nor was it kind. I have 2,228 Facebook friends. I used to travel and speak, and so I have thousands of friends on Facebook. I don't know how many of them got that, and I hope nobody responded to it. And I I use this illustration to talk about how evil the world is, but also to remind you, (laughs) we will never solicit giving through a, a, a cryptic text. Just want to let you know that if we ever ask for gift cards, which we will when the new pastor comes, it's going to be in all our newsletters. We'll talk about it from stage. It'll be very clear. But I am never going to personally text you. Just understand this. I am never going to personally text you and say, we need money. Send it to me. We don't do that at Oakwood. And by the way, I know this is being recorded. If it doesn't say PS 139, it's not me. Now we just told everybody, so the next guy is going to add that, right? He put blessings, Pastor Don. Sounded good, but if you don't have PS 139, that's my signature, Psalm 139. That's not me. So don't ever fall for that. Why do we have to be on guard? Because that's the world. This is the lost world, the old world. It's in it for itself, and it doesn't care. I'll impersonate a pastor. I'll use cancer as a a motivating factor. And I'll steal from people. Why? Because I don't care about you. That's the way of the world. That's the old self. And Paul is saying, you are no longer like that. You can't be like that. You put off those dirty clothes. And you got on new clothes. Don't ever put on these old clothes again. We're going to live in the new life. In here, uh, he says, do not give the devil a foothold. I've never, I've just never thought about that. I've thought about, you know, you don't want to give the devil a strong place to plant his foot, I guess. But interesting in, in scripture, it's a much bigger word. When I studied it this week, come to find out the word is a military term. And it doesn't mean just a foothold. I always thought it was just a foothold. Like, you know, you're playing sports and you got on cleats because you want to be able to, right? Coach, you understand? We got to have a good footing, right? And I always thought that was the illustration. It's not. What Paul said here in the term he used was a beachhead. Don't give the devil a beachhead. What's a beachhead? I wrote it down. It's a section of control in enemy territory. You don't want to give the enemy a source to to work from, (laughs) a whole beachhead to to move against you in your own life. Paul said, don't do it. It's not just giving the, the devil some cleats so he has a strong footing. No, it's giving him a whole section of your life marked off for him to do whatever he wants and to go from there and to come from there, and you can't allow it. Don't give the devil this beachhead in your life. So what's this challenge to consider? We've talked about the old, everybody say old. We talked about the change, everybody say change. We talked about the new, everybody say new. The noon is a new way to walk. So what's our challenge to consider? Well, if we have put off this old self, you must put on the new self. And what is this new self? Put on kindness. And what is kindness? But the exact opposite of selfishness. Kindness is the opposite of the way the world operates. Kindness is saying, I'm looking out for you, not for me. I'm not looking out for myself. So put on kindness. Paul said, be kind. How do we do that? Walk in compassion. Remember how Jesus walked? Everywhere he walked. And Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. Jesus walked in compassion. See a need, meet a need. See a need, meet a need. How is Paul telling us we should live? See a need, meet a need. Walk in kindness. Walk in compassion. We've got to reject selfishness. I think that's the message of this passage. Reject selfishness. And walk in forgiveness. So, be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. It's a good song. I wrote that when I was in college on this verse. We walk in forgiveness. Why? We got to offer forgiveness to others. Why? Because we've experienced forgiveness from God. I think that's how Paul lays out this passage today. He says in Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. And then in Colossians 3, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive. As the Lord forgave you. These are all Paul's passages. And throughout scripture, Paul had the same theme. Your old life is your old, it's gone. Everybody say gone. That's not who I am anymore. There's been a change. Jesus came in. He's the greater cleaner upper. So now I have a new life. I put on a new garment of his righteousness. And I walk in that. Every day you walk in the new life. And the hallmark of it, compassion, forgiveness. Compassion, forgiveness. Say it with me. Compassion, forgiveness. That makes us different. Do I think for a second that this guy out there, whoever he is, probably a 16-year-old in the basement in Ohio, it's those Ohio people, scamming church people, whoever they are, do, you, do I think for a second he's, he's ever, for, just for a second, had some compassion? No. No. Do I think for a second, if if somebody ripped him off for five cents on a bill and he caught it, you think he'd give forgiveness? No. Compassion and forgiveness? No. You and me, it's not just something we aspire to. It should be the hallmark of who we are. We should be known by loving people. We should be known by... By forgiving people, even when that's hard. Why? Because we've been forgiven. Forgiven people forgive. Remember, hurt people hurt people. Forgiven people forgive people. We're different. Just, just go ahead. Raise your hand, your right hand, just next to you. Just raise it and say, I'm different. <laughs> and I give you license to be different. Paul gives you license to be different. That's what we've been called to. That's the challenge for you to consider. And here's the calling to a new way of life. You should know it's coming. Because as I read this passage, I knew what the call to a new way of living is. Love. Everybody say love. And do we remember what the definition of love is? Love is the selfless, say it with me. The selfless willing sacrifice for the good of another person, even when they don't deserve it and not expecting anything in return. I didn't hear you. I thought you could have done a lot better. But out of compassion, I'll forgive you. <laughs> we not, we've got to know what love is. I'm going to ask the team to come up and join me as we sing this out today. Part of the main emphasis to me would be is knowing who we are in Christ. We're different. Bought with a the price. Therefore, honor God with your bod. So we've been called to be different and live different lives.